Hello and welcome in to another episode of Five Game Sweep, a Detroit sports podcast. And I am tired. No, just kidding. Seriously, I am Anthony Broom, your host here, here for episode two. It's a little bit delayed, a couple days behind. Thought we would have uh, an interview lined up for earlier this week. That mixed with some personal stuff and some work stuff kind of got in the way of that. So kind of doing a little fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants episode here because it's important for me to continue to crank out content because that's the mode we're in and that's what we're going to do. So no guests today. I did take some questions from Twitter at 5GameSweep and obviously at my Twitter, my personal Twitter account, at Anthony T. Broom. So we'll address that. Obviously, Lions Cuts have been a big topic of conversation this week probably the biggest thing that's happened so far and it's it's tough to talk about those right now we still have i believe 10 days to the opener yeah we're recording here on september 1st opener is on september 12th obviously this roster is not done so we'll talk about that it's hard to talk about the lions roster because anything you say about it right now because they are so bad and are churning over a lot of spots it's going to date itself pretty quickly but we will address that we'll hit on that a little later on when we take some questions here so where do we begin i think this week we begin with a shout out the shout out of all shout outs to taylor north little league the guys from taylor a league that uh, i'll tell this story here in a bit a league that i played in a league that i coached in um wins the little league world series that's a big deal i mean that's hadn't been done in from the state of Michigan since 1959, the Hamtramck team did it. So these guys, these kids from Taylor, which I live, again, I'm not going to dox myself here, but I live literally two blocks away from one of their campus of ball fields here. So it's pretty cool to, it's literally, it's not just a local thing for all of us. It's, I have a vested interest in it from, Obviously, a, a, my dog and I walk through these fields every day. So, super happy for those kids. Um, just just what a run it was. You know, Taylor has always been a city, and I've lived here my entire life, Sands, when I went up to Central Michigan for a few years. Taylor's a very passionate baseball city. And for the longest time, so I grew up on the west side of the city. I played in the Taylor Northwest Little League. And, and there's always been... There had always been four leagues in Taylor. There was Taylor Northwest, where I played. There was Taylor North Central, which is somewhat close to where I live now. There was Taylor Northeast. I actually coached in Taylor Northeast a couple of, you know, God, probably sometime when I was in college. And then Taylor South. Now, eventually numbers dwindled and you just needed kids to, enough kids to play games. Northwest. North Central and Northeast merged into one league. That's That became Taylor North, who is now celebrating this championship. Taylor South, which is, um, they have elected to remain as is. They have the, they do, I mean, to their credit, they have the nicer fields. They, uh, Taylor South is located at Heritage Park in, in kind of the heart of Taylor. That's where they play the Junior League World Series, which is the level up from the Little League World Series. I believe that's the 13- and 14-year-olds. So they 
I had always maintained, and I said this to a buddy of mine that I coached with during my days over at Taylor Northeast, was that you know if they if they combined these leagues or at least got a couple to merge together, it's so it's so ambitious to say that you could be a little league World Series champion, but it always just felt like there was a missed opportunity all those years to have you know somewhat of a super league. So obviously, it takes a special group of kids, it takes a special group of parents, group of coaches, you know, Rick Thorning and what he was able to do with this team is, is special. And I hope that people in the area don't take it for granted. I certainly hope people in, in the city of Taylor don't take it for granted, but hopefully with them having merged these leagues within the last couple of years, it's kind of the start of, of things to come for them. So again, who's, who would ever thought that the first modicum of success in the last 10 to 15 years for you know, Detroit sports, sports in the area, whatever you want to call it. We're excluding college sports here. That's my mantra when we do this show. Who would have thought that Taylor North Little League would be carrying the flag for what is what feels like a renaissance of excitement here in the area for the sports scene. So super happy for those kids. By the time you guys hear this, this podcast will be out on Thursday. They will be doing a parade that goes from the Taylor Rec Center to Heritage Park in Taylor, celebrating, obviously, the kids as champions. I know they've, they've made their way to the Tigers game this week. I've seen that Buddies and Freddy the Pizza Man and all these type of guys uh, and, and businesses are offering pizza parties and, and let them make the rounds. Like These kids will start school next week, and they are going to be the talk of the town, the toast of the town for a while. So hopefully they're able to relish that going to be a pretty cool celebration for them in the city of Taylor on Thursday. So shout out to Taylor North Little League. But what I did promise was Twitter questions, and I have a nice little sampling here, enough for me to kind of rant on here as we close out the show. Again, it's going to be a shorter episode today. Uh, The first one will take us from Michigan Mamba, and this is from actually five days ago. So he asked, what two or three players do you want to see show out for the Lions and make the roster? Would you have won the media punting battle if you were there? So the first thing I'll do is answer the punting battle. No, I would not. I am not athletic at all. They say those who can't do, well, the old saying is those who can't do teach. I don't know if I'm that great of a teacher either. So those who can't do, write about and judge what these finely tuned athletic machines can do. So no, I would not have won the punting battle. And given that this was a question from five days ago and Michigan Mamba also chimed in with uh, biggest Lions roster move surprise might be someone they kept cut or claimed. I'll stick with that more recent one, given that, again, we don't want these things to date themselves. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing I was kind of surprised by, and maybe I should have been surprised by, was Tyrell Crosby being cut. That's a guy who has starting experience, who could play right tackle, could play guard. But it just kind of seemed like they never see they, this new regime never saw eye to eye with him or really had much of a plan for him from the start. There were rumors after the draft that they were looking to trade him. I don't know. I mean, he didn't have a good camp, and Dan Campbell was true to his word that we are going to keep the guys that, that showed out, reward them for that, and he wasn't one of those guys, so he's not on the team. I'm not crazy about their depth there on the offensive line. If someone gets hurt, it's going to get real sketchy. But again, like we said before, they're going to be scouring the waiver wire. They're going to be 
looking at guys like I think there's going to be a lot of roster churn throughout the season with this team and they're more or less I mean if they stay healthy they're going to let these guys sink or swim Penny Sewell is probably going to suck this year because he hasn't played football in almost two years he's 20 years old he's one of the youngest players in the league he's moving positions left tackle right tackle and for the people that think it's as simple as Oh, you're just playing on the other side. Same stuff. Like, have you ever tried writing with your opposite hand? I'm a lefty. If I try writing with my right hand, I don't know how much practice, how many reps it's going to take for me to replicate the success I have writing with my left hand. And that's just, that's just hands things. That's you, you play the offensive line. You're talking your footwork. You're talking your counter moves. It's going to be baptism by fire for a guy like that. And he's probably not going to be very good this year. Taylor Decker wasn't very good in his first year. I don't seem to remember Frank Ragnow being that good in his first year. Jonah Jackson was up and down in his first year. So I would really, and this is kind of spinning away from your question here, but I I really would just caution people to put too much stock into what Penny Sewell does this year. It's going to be rough. It's going to be a work in progress. The only thing you can really ask for is that from week one to week 17, by the end of this year, this guy looks like he belongs. Now, at some point, you're going to have to show something. Again, Jeff Okuda last year didn't show anything. Need to show something now because both those guys are top 10 picks. You have to show some kind of glimmer of hope. It's a big year for both both those guys, but namely Jeff Okuda. Again, I'm spinning off here. But other than that, I, I can't be surprised that they kept or cut anyone because this team's going to suck, and they're going to suck really bad. It's been really funny for me to watch like the the reactions to them cutting two kickers. Big deal. They both sucked. You can get kickers off the street. Find one. It's not as hard as it looks. Wide receiver, there's going to be some movement there. I'm not super crazy that they took an undraft that they traded for an undrafted free agent, gave a 5th round pick and a 7th round pick up for a guy that was probably the 5th or 6th wide receiver in Denver. But there's opportunity there. I don't have a problem burning draft capital if there's a guy that you like. That's that Rams mentality where if there's someone you like, picks be damned, you go get him. So hopefully you see a guy like uh, Trinity Benson play. Other than that, this is going to be a bad football team. It's funny to me that you see Brashad Perriman get cut. People go, oh, wow, this wide receiver room is going to be really bad. It's like they were going to suck if he was here anyways. And then you see Jared Goff not perform well in camp. It doesn't play that well in preseason games. And it takes them 17 plays to move down the field. And people go, huh, man, this offense isn't going to be really good. It's like, no shit. Where have you been all offseason? They're not trying to win this year. So the best thing that you can hope for, and they're doing this the right way, by the way. There's no there's no false pre- pretenses about we think we're close to being a playoff team. They, they don't feel like there's a few pieces away. This is a top-to-bottom gutting and restoration. The best thing you can hope for is that they keep you entertained and they lose a shit ton of games, like the Pistons did. Because this, the Lions are going to need their Cade Cunningham. They're going to need their franchise quarterback. They're going to need playmakers on both sides of the ball. They're going to need, I mean, they need everything. So it's probably going to be rough. I like the idea that they're going to let young guys, hey, listen, like uh, like cornerback, for example. 
Amani Oruwariye is the oldest cornerback in the room right now. He's 25 years old. If you're on this roster, they're going to expect you to, they're going to try and accelerate that development. And it probably means they'll lose a lot of football games. And that's fine. Nobody needs to panic about that. This is kind of the assumption going in. I don't know if I trust Dan Campbell yet. I think I trust Brad Holmes. I'm on board with just about everything they've done so far. All the the chess pieces are that are in place with the front office and Brad Holmes, John Dorsey, Ray Agnew, all those guys, and even on Dan Campbell's coaching staff. I think Aubrey Pe- Aubrey Pleasant. Aub- Why can't I talk? Aubrey Pleasant is going to be a star. I like Aaron Glenn. I think that Deuce Staley is a future head coach. Anthony Lynn, there's a lot to like there, but he's going to have to call the games of his life this year if this team's going to be competitive. So, again, um, that's kind of a long-winded way of me saying I don't really give a shit who they kept or who they cut because they're going to be bad. I just hope when I flip them on on Sunday that just stay competitive and that you find something there. DeAndre Swift, I need you to be a guy. TJ Hawkinson, I need you to be a pro bowler. Amonra St. Brown, I need you to show you could be a slot receiver. Offensive line needs to make progress. Ali McNeil, Levi Onzerike, I need you to be dudes. I need Romeo Aquara to earn his money. I need Derek Barnes in the field. You see what I'm saying? Like, I'm just I'm tracking progress. I'm not tracking wins. And like I said, whatever they do, they could go. When they went 0 and 16 in 2008, it was embarrassing. If they were to not win a single game this year, it would not bother me at all. So, thank you for the question, Michigan Mamba. Sorry for the long-winded response, but that's why we're here. So, uh, who do we have next? Here? Who's my next victim? So, this is from Ezra Van Beek. He has Tigers or Pistons closer to a championship. I'm going to table that one for a second because we did get a question from Carl Spackler at Carl Spackler 80 who said, rank the rebuilds. So that's, I can answer both of those questions here. I'll go from four to one. Number four, I'd have to put the Detroit Lions just because it's so new and and we have no, and they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt that they're going to get things figured out. I like the plan in place, as I said before. I like the early returns on, I mean, this draft class is going to play and play a lot. I'm totally on board with that. It seems like the guys that they took, by and large, are going to have roles this season. Cool, let's see him play. But until you have your franchise quarterback, which you don't, I'm not I'm not elevating you on this rebuild. You're at number four right now, and, and probably by a pretty significant margin. Number three, I'll go with the Detroit Red Wings. And this one has nothing to do with lack of talent. I think you have prospects up and down the system now. You've got Lucas Raymond. You've got um, Moritz Sider. You've got... Joe Valeno. You've got guys. Um, Philip Hronick looks like he could be a cornerstone. Philip Zadina is someone that we start need to start seeing more from. But it seems like up and down this organization, there you're starting to see guys. And hockey rebuilds take more or less take the, the longest to do. I mean, when you draft all these guys, most of them are 17 and 18, and a lot of them play multiple college seasons and then need time in the minors. And it's it's frustrating. It's arduous which is why it's so disheartening. Like people don't realize the rebuild didn't start when Ken Holland was doing his thing. The rebuild started when Stevie got here. So this is really, 
I think this is draft number. Th- I want to say draft number three for him. That sounds right. Draft number three, offseason number three. It kind of feels like they're starting to make the move to where they get more competitive. Now, Jeff Blaschel, he's not going to be the head coach when they're ready to contend, period. I don't see that. But can he be a Ron Gardenhire type that keeps morale high, has a professionalism about him? We'll see. I've kind of seen what I need to see out of him, but also... It doesn't. It's never made a lot of sense to me to change coaches when, again, what's what the window to compete is not there right now. So that's going to take a while still. It's going to be a couple seasons until you start to see the fruits of all that labor. But I, I'm I'm here for it so far, and I trust Steve Eiserman. He's the best GM in hockey. I have zero zero reservations about how that will happen, but. I guess it depends on how we want to rank the rebuilds. Are we ranking them based on most likely to succeed or who's the closest to contending? If we're doing most closest to contending, I have the Red Wings at number three. Number number two. This is difficult for me. I'm doing this in real time. I did not prepare. Some of you may be able to tell that because I stammer and I stutter and I ramble while I try to buy myself time to come up with what I think about things. But... Number two, I think I'm going to throw the Tigers at number two for now. And the reason they are the team that is probably most ready to compete. You're already seeing it this year with how A.J. Hinch has managed this Island of Misfit Toys roster. And that's without Spencer Torkelson coming up. And that's without Riley Green coming up. And that's with Dylan Dingler still in the minors. And that's... Uh, the pitching guys are up. Like the, From what I've seen from their big three, so to speak, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Tarek Skubal, I, I think t- Skubal probably still has the most upside of the three if we're talking pure ace stuff. I mean, Matt Manning is super raw too, but uh, Casey Mize, I think you know, he needs to probably miss some more bats, but I like the poise I've seen out of him this year. They're, they have the right guy in place, and they're ready to spend, and they need to spend, and... and that was the big topic of episode number one, so I'm not going to get too much into that. If you want to hear my plan for spending Chris Illich's money, listen to the pod I did with Chris Castellani. But I'll put them at number two just because I think... I just think baseball is the hardest sport to turn around and win in. There's so much that goes into it. Even like Look at a team like the Dodgers. You could have... And they finally got their World Series last year. Good for them, right? But it took them so long, almost a decade, of spending and building a farm system. And still, just when you play that much baseball, it's just it's tough to break through, especially if you run into a hot team, a hot pitching staff, what have you. So I'll throw them at number two. Uh, number one, process of elimination, is the Detroit Pistons. And the reason I say that is because I think they have two things going for them. One, they have their linchpin on the roster now. They have their superstar. Cade, uh, I almost said Cade McNamara. Can you tell my brain is in Michigan football in? Cade Cunningham is the most complete player in this year's draft. I think he's the guy that is most likely, he has the highest floor of anyone in this draft that came out. I think he has the most kind of, you know, I talked about before on here, kind of these LeBron James type of traits. Not comparing him to him, but in terms of, Carrying a team and putting the team on his back and making everyone around you better. I see that in him. You have that there. And you have a nice young core in place with 
Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, Troy Weaver, I think is has pulled, done one of the most impressive one-year rebuilds that I've ever seen. It's going to take time still. I, I think that, make no mistake about it, Like I, I know a lot of people are kind of hoping that this can be a team that competes for the play-in. I still think they're probably going to be pretty bad record-wise, and we'll have another shot at the lottery. So, But I did get a question on that. I will address that here in a second. But I just feel like the toughest thing is out of the way. Like The Pistons have a superstar now. They have their number one pick, and it hadn't happened in 51 years. That guy's there. That's the the quickest route to accelerating a rebuild in, in basketball is having that superstar player. I think that, uh, again, you can, make your, you can make the argument for either the Tigers or the Pistons here. I'm going with the Pistons just because they have the one sure thing that you need to compete in the NBA now, and that's a young superstar that elevates the talent around him. So that would be how I would rank the rebuilds. Thank you, Ezra. Thank you, Carl, for kind of tag-teaming that question there. So we'll go to the Pistons question here from Jeff Koenig. He says, is it bad if the Pistons wind up in the lottery again after this season? No. In fact, I think it's the preferred outcome. And the reason I say that is this team is not ready to win yet. And in order, so I think that Cade Cade Cunningham has a tremendous head on his shoulders. I think he's bought into what this city is. He's bought into what the organization wants to be. He's bought into the entire culture of the Pistons franchise. With that said, you've seen it already with guys like Zion Williamson, where if you don't, if you can't put those pieces around those guys and put them in positions to succeed early, they're going to start planning their trip to, or their, their, their free agent trips to New York and LA and Chicago and Miami. If, if these small market teams don't do their job, we know what the end game is here, right? So the idea that the Pistons could have another season where they are competitive but still lose a lot of games, grow together with this young core, and get another crack at the lottery, I think to me that's the best case scenario. Because now you're talking about maybe they can bring in a, a Chet Holmgren, a Caleb Houston, a... I think the top of that draft is probably a little more deeper than even this year's draft was. Now, I don't know if there's the high-end talent there. I think it's a pretty safe bet that Cade and Jalen Green and Evan Mobley, I think those guys are going to be superstars. I don't know if I see that yet with this group of guys coming in for the 2022 draft, but I know they're deeper there. It's not going to be like a 2020 draft where seven guys could have gone number one. I think there's a lot of a lot of really great high-end talent there and someone that could be a a running mate for Cade Cunningham is is there. So for me, I, I know that people want to see wins. They want to compete for the playoffs. And I just, I, I for as impressive as that one-year turnaround was, I just think it's going to take some time. So I'm totally cool if, if they get another crack at the lottery. And, you know, even... Again, even if they finish with the fifth worst record in the league and they slide back to seven or eight, at this point, you trust one. You trust Troy, uh, Troy Weaver, and two, you're not. I mean, you would you want the best player you can get? It would be awesome to have the number one pick again or have a top three pick again. But at this point, you're kind of looking for more complementary pieces, and I trust that Troy Weaver would find that in a draft that I think looks, at least on the surface, could be deeper than the one. That, that we just saw. So 
I don't think that the Pistons being in the lottery again is a bad outcome at all. Now, if Cade Cunningham looks bad and they regress from last season and Isaiah Stewart, let's just say Isaiah Stewart gets hurt and Sadiq Bey isn't consistent, well, then, yeah, maybe maybe things are a little bit concerning. But I think the best case, to me, I mean, the best case scenario is that, oh, they're in the play-in, this young core thrives together, Cade is a 20 and 27 and 5 guy, or, you know, 20 points, 7, seven assists, 5 rebounds, whatever it is, and you're in the play-in and you're kind of... Uh, but, you know, the development of rebuilds aren't linear either. You know, the Memphis Grizzlies a couple years ago when Job Morant was a rookie, like that was that that clicked a lot quicker than it probably should have. And then you sort of see him slide back a little bit. And like I said, all, the, all rebuilds aren't linear. So, like I said, I, I do think that being competitive, continuing to build on that culture and then still having a crack at the lottery, I think that's my most preferred outcome this year. But. Again, I'm open to other people's thoughts and opinions on that as well. This will be the last question, and we'll get out of here on this one. This is from Aiden. He says, who is who is going to be the Lions' number one option at wide receiver? <sighs> you know, I, I mean, I think they're top. They would probably tell you, and I think the consensus from the Lions beat would even say that your top three right now is Tyrell Williams, Khalif Raymond, and Amonra St. Brown. Of those three guys... I think I'm I, I you guys know if you follow me on Twitter, you've known I've kind of been on the the St. Brown train for a while. I just think that guy's a pro. It's gonna has the look of a guy that's gonna be in the league for ten to you know, ten, twelve, thirteen years. Number two, number three wide receiver. Not quite like Golden Tate esque, but someone who can catch fifty or sixty balls a year and be a nice little security blanket. I think you're gonna see that pretty early on this year. But from there it's anyone's guess. I, I honestly I'll be. This is blasphemous to say as someone who hosts a Detroit sports podcast, but I did not watch a single snap of preseason football. I just know that, like it, like I said before, it is so jarring to hear people freak out that about the wide receiver room when, you know, who is Brashad Perriman? You know what I mean? He's bounced around the league too, so I have no idea. Uh, this team does not seem all that interested in surrounding Jared Goff with a ton of talent, which I'm fine with. I, I don't think he's the guy. I think he'll prove that throughout the year that he's not the guy. It's He was a throw-in in the Stafford deal, and, he, and he, taking him probably got you a second first-round pick. So you take the good with the bad. The Lions will have, what is it, uh, four first-round picks over the next two years? Whatever, man. Like Whatever you throw out there this year, you deal with it. I'm not too worried about it. So... Anyways, that's going to do it for me. I think I'm going to get out of here now. It's a little bit late. It's a work night, you know. Got to get back to sleep here. Uh, thank you so much so um, so far with all the, the reviews that have come in. I know this is kind of a scatterbrained episode, so please do not leave a bad review. Maybe just abstain from a review this time around. Still working out the kinks. Should probably be a little more organized next week in terms of putting the schedule together. But we will be back next week with a guest, hopefully to talk some Lions football a little bit deeper into some predictions for the NFL season. Other than that, I appreciate it so far. Uh, the reviews have been very positive. People have been very kind with their feedback for me. So we'll do it again next week. So that's going to do it for episode two here. You can follow me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. You can follow the podcast Twitter account, which is a more a burner account for me, 
at five game sweep on Twitter. That'll do it this time. I, I think I've said that'll do it like four times now, but we're out. I've rambled enough. We'll talk to you next time.